Okay, well, it's getting about time to begin. It's good seeing everyone here this morning, and y'all are going to have to, uh, if you stay in here, you're going to have to put up with my raspy voice this morning. A little bit of sinus congestion the last few days. But anyway, it is a pleasure to see everyone. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a good week. As we continue our study on looking at the area of Jerusalem today, uh, if you want to go ahead, we've got a lot of references that we're going to look at today. But the main thing where we're going to start is going to be in uh, the book of John chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's, that's where we're going to begin. We're going to look at and spend a little bit of time looking at um, uh, Jesus' Jesus's encounter with the, you know, with the Samaritan woman. And there's a specific reason dealing with the area of Jerusalem that we're going to look at that. And so, and like I said, we're going to do things maybe a little bit different in that we're going to have kind of a lot of reading, a lot of references that we're going to look at today. But it is good seeing everyone here. We do want to continue to remember those who are in our care lines, um, you know, members who, who, who are ill. You know, let's continue to remember uh, Joe uh, Huffman and also, you know, Jim Banks and the numerous other members that we have that's unable to be here today. And also, you know, we've got uh, family members that either have had loved ones passed away or they have illnesses themselves. Um, you know, we want to extend our condolences to Keith and Kathy Lowler due to the recent passing of their son, Blake. And also, uh, Kathy Burleson, who's a former member here, passed away earlier this week. And then uh, Christy Key, who is a friend of Brooke Williams, has been diagnosed with cancer and will have surgery tomorrow. So I want to remember her. And also Marla Trotton's mother, uh, Linda Crow, has been diagnosed with some uh, heart issues and, and will be undergoing uh, several heart tests in the next few days. Are there, are there any others that we need to keep in mind or any updates on anyone? Yes. Oh, Linda, okay. So you have a nephew who passed away and also his mother's in the hospital with pneumonia. He was a twin. What was his name? Terry Jenkins. And is the twin Jerry perchance? Oh, okay. Okay, so let's remember the Jenkins family also. She's Hilton. Yeah, anyone else have? Shauna Brown's mother, Pat. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Pray for, for your family, yourself, and your family, and that they'll help each other and, and everything will go well. And anyone else? 
Okay, if not, let's have our opening prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin the lesson for today. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you've provided us. We thank you for being our creator. We thank you for creating the families that we have, and we thank you for the help that we have. We also thank you for what Christ has accomplished for us and, and for your word. Thank you for the nation that we live in, that we're able to come together and, and study and understand your word and how we should live in accordance with your will. We do ask a prayer for the many that have been mentioned here, the, the families that have been mentioned, that, that they be able to, to be comforted, that they be able to be pulled together with your strength. That we also ask for the many that unfortunately are ill or those that have lost loved ones, that we do recognize that it's the cycle of life and that we are and do have frailties associated with us physically as well as spiritually. We ask that we understand and be guided with your strength and be comforted in your word. As we continue with the classes today and the services, they, may they be conducted in, in what we're going to pull out of Matthew chapter 4 in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, well, what we're going to do today in looking at uh, Jerusalem we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, in John chapter 4. And as we go through that, one of the things that we want to try to, try to understand. Oh, hey, Mark. Can you give me the next slide? My little clicker's not working. Oh, okay. What we want to, you know, some of the things that we've talked about in the past with uh, Jerusalem is Jerusalem is referred to as, as many, uh, roughly, depending on which references you look at, it'll be anywhere between 70 to 72 different names that are, or descriptions that are, that are in the Bible is what is believed to be referencing the area of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem. As we've gone through this, we've looked at a couple of them um, in terms of you know Salem and Mount Moriah, but we're going to take a little bit of a step back and we're going to use John chapter 4 as kind of a basis to look at a couple of things and it really raises the question of where is Salem that we read about in, um, in Genesis chapter 14 and that is where Abraham um, meets Melchizedek. And then also, where is the land of Moriah, which is what we read about in Genesis chapter 2, where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where these areas are. And it becomes subjective and applied through tradition depending on different religious beliefs of where they may have actually been. And then along the way, we also want to look in and talk about where is Mount Gerizim, Gerizim. And in looking at where Mount Gerizim is, that is of particular interest of the Samaritan faith. And we're going to see how that plays a part in John chapter 4. Okay? And then the other thing is, where is Mount Moriah? 
Mount Moriah, it, Second Chronicles chapter three and verse one really helps us understand clearly where, where Mount Moriah is. And so as we go through each one of those, we've got you know, a bunch of references that we're gonna just slowly go through. And if at any time you have any questions or you wanna make a point, as, as always, just you know, raise your hand and uh, ask a question, make a point. I, we, really, it's really, we really get a, little, a lot of good insights uh, from the class, uh, class members as we go through this. This is not my class, this is your class, okay? So let's keep that in mind. Uh, we've looked at this map the last couple of weeks just as kind of a reminder. And one of these days I'll get a pointer that actually has a, a big red dot on it. But over to the right, you see Mount of Olives, which I think we're all familiar with. Then as you move, as you move towards the west, you have the Kendron Valley. Then you come up on this other ridge, which is referred to as the Eastern Ridge. And the top part of it there is Mount Moriah, which is also where the Temple Mount was located, which is where the Dome of the Rock is today. And we've gone into that in a lot of detail. And as you go south is where you get to that other circled area is where the city of David was. And so with that in mind and knowing where Mount Moriah is, oh, thank you. Let's look at, and we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at John chapter 4. And as we look at John chapter 4, then we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 14 and we're gonna just slowly work our way through looking at the use of Salem, what happened in the land of Moriah. We're gonna look at what, what you know, God had told Moses. Uh, we're gonna look at a couple of references in Deuteronomy, and then we'll talk a little bit about Joshua, and then there's another slide after this where we've got a couple of more references that we're gonna look at. And what we don't finish today We'll, we'll finish next week. We're not going to try to go through this real quick. So let's begin with John chapter 4. And in looking at John chapter 4, un understand, the, understand the geography of this region. You have Jerusalem, and if you head north out of Jerusalem, which is in the area of what is called Judea. As you travel further north, you're going to cross into the area that's referred to as Samaria. If you continue to go further north, you then end up in Galilee. So as, we, as you look at this, you're going to see in verse 1, it says, Therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So Jesus is heading north. Going to Galilee is probably about a 50, 50 to 60 mile trip, depending on exactly where he's going in that area. But after he's gone roughly about 30, 35, 40 miles, he, he comes upon an area in Samaria that is referred to in here as Sychar. 
it, it is believed that Sychar is, going, is actually a Greek language transliteration of, of what was the city Shechem, uh, S-H-E-M-C-E-M, which is a city at the foothills, on the foothills of Mount Gerizim. But it's in the area of Samaria, okay? So here it goes. It says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria, okay? That's just the geographics of how you get from point A to point B. You have to go through this, this other uh, nation. So as he's going through there, he also, you know, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave, gave to his son, Joseph. Okay, Jacob has the 12 sons. Joseph is one of the sons. Joseph was so respected that when the people crossed into the land of Canaan, okay, with Moses, well, you know, after the 40 years in the wilderness, and Joshua leads them into the land of Canaan, and the, tri and the tribes are divided up into land. Joseph's tribes by Ephraim and Manasseh, two of his sons, got their own separate plots of land. The tribe of the Levites did not get any land. They were to be the priests. They were not to own any, any land. So hence you have 12 sections of land is how the division was. So Joseph is mentioned here for a very specific reason. Joseph is mentioned because of where he is going, where Christ is going through Samaria. He is going through the land that used to be owned and was given to Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay? When the division occurred back, you know, basically 1,500 years earlier, 1,400 years earlier. So as he goes through this, we see in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to drink water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we're going to stop there for a moment, and we're going to deviate now back over to Genesis chapter 14 to start this discussion. But why do you think Jews had no dealings with Samaritans? They were half-breeds, okay? That, that's, that's a polite way of putting it, okay? Keep in mind, around the year 1400 or so, when they came across the Jordan River, after the 40 years in the wilderness, and they crossed over with, the, with Joshua being the lead, and next week we may spend a little bit of time in the book of Joshua talking about what it tells us, 
because it's only in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 1 is where the word Jerusalem is first used in the Old Testament. And it's in the mountain region. But they had already been in the mountain region, and we're going to look at chapter 8 today. We're going to see where they actually went to Mount Gerizim first when they entered into the land. And we're going to see why and what they did first when they entered into that land. But now following the history, remember now that you have essentially 400 years that they have judges across the different lands. Then they decide they want to be like other nations and have a king. So now they end up having a king. David becomes king eventually around the year 1000. After David, Solomon becomes king. And then after Solomon's death is then when you have the split to the around nine, you know, around the year 900 or so is when you have the split into the northern kingdom of the 10 tribes that happens to be led by Manasseh, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay? And then you have the southern kingdom, which is made up of the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites, which is then referred to as Judah. It was around the year 722 is, and 721 is when the Assyrians have gained so much strength that they have come in, they have been battling the, uh, the northern tribes for a number of years and they finally take, take over. And the nation becomes, and this area of Samaria becomes basically the, the lead spot of the northern kingdom. And what these 10 tribes have done is that they have intermarried over this time period. They have intermarried and they have pulled in a lot of the, in fact, they have pulled in mainly to where they were in Assyrian uh, pagan worship, but there was one little twist to them. They still believed in the Torah. They, they took, and when you start talking about them being a mixed breed, they were not only gene genealogically a mixed breed, but they were religiously a mixed breed also. They believed in the five books of the Bible. They believed in Abraham. They believed in Moses. They didn't believe in any of the other prophets that the Jewish faith believed in. They had established their own worship and they even at points off and on established temple worship in Mount Gerizim. And we're gonna see why that occurred. And it really became, when Christ is sitting here talking to this woman, he is talking to a woman who believes that there will be a coming Messiah who will be like Moses. But the Jewish people believe there's going to be a coming Messiah who's going to be like David. So that's one difference of opinion. The other difference of opinion is Christ is sitting here talking to this woman who believes that the worship should not be in Jerusalem, but the worship and sacrifices that Moses talked about should be taking place in Mount Gerizim. And, the, and that's the second big issue. The third big issue is that in the year 128 BC, the Jewish people, when they actually had independence after they 
defeated uh, Antiochus IV in the 160s, gained their independence through the Maccabean Revolt. Then about 20 years later, you had the Hasmonean dynasty took place, which is basically where the Sadducees came from, is that during that time period, what ended up happening is in 128 BC, the Jewish faith went to Mount Gerizim and destroyed their temple. So here is Christ talking to a woman who she knows he's a Jew. They differ in who's going to be a Messiah. And by the way, you destroyed our place of temple worship a hundred and, you know, 40 some odd years ago. And so that's why they hate each other so much. And so as you, as you think about this, Christ shouldn't even be talking to these people. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Christ took just the opposite approach from the Jews in things. Here's another example where he does just the opposite of what a normal Jewish faithful person would do. And he's, so he's sitting here talking to this woman and she says, why are you talking to me? Okay, so let's go back and look at Genesis chapter 14. And let's start with looking at just a couple of points as we go through this. In Genesis chapter 14 is where we first see the mention of the word Salem. In Genesis chapter 14, in verse 18, it says, now remember, what, what has happened here is that Abraham has gone and rescued Lot. He had fought these other kings. Abraham was a rich person. Abraham had a lot of soldiers. Okay? And what he ended up doing is the king of of Sodom actually went out to battle. Say, uh, Abraham went out to battle. When the battle was over and Abraham had won, the king of Sodom was victorious. We then see where in verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abraham gives Melchizedek. He tithes to Melchizedek. And then we read when we go over to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and we look in chapters 5 uh, and 7, and maybe also it's in chapter 6 is where we see the importance and how the writer uses the idea that you know Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek and, and why he did and why you know why the Jewish faith was so important at the time but but if you go back before the Jewish faith you even look at the the father of the Jewish faith he gave tithes to Melchizedek and Christ is like Melchizedek Okay. So the book of Hebrews gives this, this argument and this strength relating back to how Christ is so much like Melchizedek. Okay? A king of righteousness and you know the, the king of righteousness basically. So 
As we go on through the rest of Genesis chapter 14, we were able to see that the king of Sodom said to Abraham, you know, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. And Abraham, basically the rest of this says, I, I don't want the goods. I gave my tithing to the high priest, the priest of God, and you take whatever you want. I, I, don't, I don't want the plunder of war, okay? was Abraham's basically thoughts there. But this introduces us to the city of Salem. So keep that in mind. Now let's, yeah, go ahead, Ron. Where in the lineage is the tribe of Levite as it compares to Melchizedek in the priesthood. That is, biblically, it is unknown. And the reason for that is, the question is, the real question is, where is Salem? Traditionally, the, the lineage, and, and it really goes back to how, what is the connection between the genealogical lineage of Melchizedek to Abraham. Because remember, the Levites, they, they, are, they come off of Jacob. They, they were one of the sons of Jacob. His father was Isaac. His father was Abraham. And so from a lineage perspective, it depends on who was Melchizedek and who was Abraham and they, were they related to each other. Now, I will tell you, the Jewish faith believes that Melchizedek was Noah's son, Shem. That's what their belief is. And that's where they draw the connection between Adam to Shem, out to Abraham, and that's where that connection to the priesthood is, from tradition. And that's all we have is tradition. Excuse me. Biblically, okay, your bottom line question is then of what lineage did Christ come from? Christ is from the lineage, biblically we know of certainty that he is from the Abraham lineage through Isaac, Jacob, 
and then as, as we continue on through that lineage of, of Judah, through David, okay, and through that chain. And what proves that, or what gives us that information, is when we look back at the genealogy that is mentioned for, for, for Joseph and the genealogy for Matthew. When you go back and you look at, is it, I can't remember, is it um, the books of Matthew and Luke, I think is one of the ones that give those lineages. And, and that's why those lineages are given to show. It. And, but, but it, and it will actually go all the way back. One of them goes all the way back to Abraham. I don't remember which one. I mean, to, to Adam. But what you have to realize is that there is a gap there between Abraham and Melchizedek that is a missing piece in the Bible that tells us if those two are ever related in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but it's through the Jewish tradition, it's where they would draw the linkage to say that linkage is through Noah and Shem. Okay? So that's, that's, again, it's a big question mark. You can go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29, that says we're not going to know everything. Okay? Not everything is given. So in, any other thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if you actually, and that's where the Jewish faith draws there, and that's a good point. And what Matthew brought up is, if you actually go look at the, the genealogy and how long these people lived, there is an overlap with Noah and Shem and Abraham. And what the Jewish faith believes is that coming out of the flood, you did have Noah. He was essentially you know, um, a prophet of God. And, and I may not be using the right word there than using prophet, but, but as you look then at, at the life of Shem, the belief is, is that Shem is the person that Abraham is actually meeting in Salem. That there is that overlap of life that occurs and that what God set up, their belief is that what God set up with people living these hundreds of years like they did, and I think even the key point is they even tie it back to Methuselah to a degree and why he lived so long is to provide this overlap as the world populates to ensure that, that there is this worship of God that is and these altars and this worship that's being built to a monotheistic religion, the one true God, since the formation of the earth that has always existed. There's never been a time when that has not existed. And that's one of the reasons they draw this relationship that Shem and Melchizedek are the same person. And any other thoughts? I, I, I think what we're, and, and the question is why are things why is everything not mentioned? Is it not important? I think the important thing is recognizing when, when we get to the New Testament what Christ does for us, that it's through the grace of God, you know, like going back and looking at the book of Romans and what it's there for us is that it's the grace, we have the grace of God, we have salvation through the grace of God, 
through faith, by an active faith. And that's what the New Testament teaches us. The other aspect of the Old Testament is to teach us, just like the book of uh, Romans does, is that God gave the law, the first covenant, to the Jewish people for the main reason that they would recognize what sin was. They had to recognize sin to have this standard that they had to live by, that it was going to be something that was going to be put in place to recognize sin, and then there would be a coming Messiah. There would be a coming Christ for a change. And so that's what the Old Testament is there for. It teaches us about sin. It teaches us about apostasy. Uh, from our perspective, we don't get bogged down in genealogy. From the Jewish faith, they, 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 they really put a really good emphasis on genealogy, okay? Believing that they're still waiting for the coming Messiah. And any other questions or thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. And that's where your, your faith comes into. You have to believe that, 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 that line of redemption. There are several books that talk about the scheme of redemption, the red line of redemption. It goes all the way back to the blood. So we still obviously study, and we study the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. And that's a very good, you know, that's a very good point. And you even go back to Genesis chapter 4 and you see where, you know, you have to go back there and you still see the significance right at the beginning of an altar, of a sacrifice. And the importance of it. Any other thoughts? If we don't, ever, if we don't leave Genesis chapter 14, that's fine with me. I got material for next week then. Any other thoughts? Because we've only touched on one little part of this, of the history of, of uh, you know, the Samaritan woman. Okay, let's go to the next part, Genesis chapter 22. Here is where we read of Abraham's offering of Isaac. It says, now, now it came to pass after these things that Abraham that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. Then he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So we know that Moriah has, is a mountainous area and God is gonna tell Basically, hey, travel till I say stop, and I'll tell you which mountain to, to stop on. Now, the question is, where is the land of Moriah? The Bible doesn't tell us which mountain this was specifically, okay? It never mentions it. So, 
Why do you think that becomes important? Well, let's move forward to Deuteronomy. And look, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. What I want to look at in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is, is this, this thought. And the, the reason I want to look at this is, again, the Samaritans only believed in the Torah. They were monotheistic. They believed that they were going to worship God and, and they were going to, and they are waiting for a Messiah to come. And here's where their basis was for what they're waiting on. It's this because of what is said here for Moses. It says in verse 15 through 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all your desire of the Lord your God in Hebrew in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will speak my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. If you were to just look at and believe in the first five books of the Bible, you are waiting for someone who will fulfill and be like Moses. And that's what the Samaritans were looking for. They were looking for a new Moses to show up. Now, let's look at where the worship could possibly take place. Look at Deuteronomy 27. Because again, it's the, it's the mindset of if you're only looking at the Torah, Look at chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. Now this is Moses talking. Before they entered the land of Canaan, Moses said, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, command the people, saying, Keep all commandments which I command you. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land, which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you and you shall whitewash with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. So he gives them a command that when you cross over the Jordan, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to Mount Ebal in that area, and you're going to set up an altar. Now let's look at Joshua chapter 8. In Joshua chapter 8, 
and beginning in verse 30, we see where they have now crossed over. Moses has died. That's what Joshua, chap, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 tells us following the death of Moses. Then they cross over, and in verse 30 of chapter 8, it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Abel. Okay? Then it gives us a little more information. It says, As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man has welded an iron rod. And they offered on it burnt offerings of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on the other side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. Okay? and half of them in front of Mount Abel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before them. And afterward he read all the words of the law and blessings and cursings according to what's written in the book of the law. So here's where we see that this crossing over the establishment of the first altar occurs at Mount Gerizim. Now, we've got just a couple of moments and we're not going to go through all the details of First Chronicles. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick back up here next week. And we'll talk a little bit more and we'll read through the rest of this. But here's the, the key thing I want us to get across. Is when we go into First Chronicles, you start seeing where, where David buys what is referred to as the threshing floor of Ornan. And, and, why he, and why he purchased it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, it specifically says the threshing floor was on Mount Moriah. Okay? That is where the temple mount would be built, the map that we looked at earlier. When we go and we start we're looking into Nehemiah, we're going to see when Nehemiah goes back in the early 400s to rebuild, well, in the 400s to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he runs into an issue with a Samaritan because the Samarians, the Samaritans are basically the governing officials of Jerusalem now. And we see where Sanballat does not like the idea of the Jews coming back and reestablishing the temple because they're building it in Jerusalem. And that's because the Samarians have their temple on Mount Gerizim. And they, they battle for hundreds of years over this. But then look what Christ says. And here's the point I want to get across. And we'll go ahead and we'll skip ahead a little bit. Since we're running a little short on time. Um, go ahead in, in John chapter 4 and go on down to, he talks about, you know, the, the, living, the living waters. Go on down to verse 19. Just prior to verse 19, 
The woman has told Christ she has no husband. He says, contrary to what you say, you've got husband number five right now. And that gets her attention because how did he know that? She hadn't said anything to him. So she says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place one ought to worship. So she cuts right to the chase and makes the religious matter, okay? You say we can't be worshiping on this mountain that you see right over here, that we need to worship 25, 30, 35 miles away. And then in verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, it doesn't matter which mountain you want to argue over anymore whether you be a Samaritan or a Jew, there's no reason to argue. There won't be any argument in the future. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews. In other words, go back to Romans. The law was there through the Jews so people could understand what sin was and examples of sin. That's all the New Testament was for, the Old Testament was for. That was part of it. Well, actually, that was part of it. The other part was through the lineage and that Christ would come out of that lineage for the salvation of us. But he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So he's given her the point that you're looking for someone like Moses. The Jews are looking for someone like David. You're worshiping off of this mountain. We're worshiping off of that mountain. It's a no, never mind now. Okay? Yeah, go ahead, and then we're done. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Mount Sinai was over in, it was in the wilderness. Okay, so when they talk about Moses bringing the Ten Commandments, he was nowhere close to either one of these. Moses never entered this land, period. Okay. Hey, I appreciate y'all's thoughts and questions. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up on this next week and just continue and wrap this point up. Thank you.